0: Welcome into the vaccine conversation with Melissa and dr Bob and this is a very special episode in that it is not an episode because Melissa and I are not going to be recording it now
1: we're not even here right now I know we're not <laughs> here
0: you, you think we're here, but we're not here We're holograms. <laughs> we are posting um a video series that we did that the first take of it that we spent a couple hours filming. Ended up, um, Melissa just kind of looked so dorky, like, in in her, you know, in what she was wearing that day, and her her bangs weren't straight, and the whole video just didn't look good, so. so We we had to scrap it. We had to scrap it, but. (laughs) But but as as you know from the audio podcast, the audio footage from this event was just priceless. Melissa was as fascinating as ever. And so we're sparing you the video footage. Oh, geez. But br- They're going <laughs> to believe you.
1: They're going to actually think you're telling the truth. By the way, not true at all. We just right. went in a different direction for what we right. kept on the actual website. and But right. we, had, we had had some nice, vigorous discussions on it. So we're thinking, well, that's good content to offer for people to open on up the their audio. mind things. Yeah. Right, so it's right. just, listen, we've got content we want to share, including, like I mentioned, some of the audio of our live performances out right. so that you can have an audio version of that because right. content is content. There is good stuff. There are nuggets in there that you might want to take with you, use, talk about with people in your circle. Yeah. Uh, so we don't want to, we never want to scrap stuff like that. Right,
0: right. So, so what uh sort of the, the impetus of, of this first shoot that we took was like in my mind, I guess I've always felt that our podcasting style really resonates with a lot of people, especially people new to this movement, and they hopefully find our conversational style interesting and and, and a great way to learn. I know I, I find it a great way to present the information because it's a lot more fun than just sitting there and talking um, to yourself or to a camera. So that was my vision for the podcast video series. And we found that vision. And I think we really captured that on our, our website and can mention it again, conversation.com. If you haven't checked it out, please do. It's a whole series of different videos that are all geared towards new families so they can understand the vaccine conversation and the way that we present. We ended up, you know, doing it just like we do the podcast. You know, you and I are looking at each other. We occasionally look at a side camera to address the audience, but it's mostly you and I feeding off of each other. But but the first take of this video, we, we went into the, the studio on a Saturday and I was like, you know what? I'm going to set us up as a couple of like newscasters, kind of like a, like a little news studio. We'd have a little desk there. And uh, Is that, we, I
1: don't even remember that. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah we did. Yeah, we ended up not doing the desk because it was going to be a virtual desk. Right. And then the background was actually, uh, we set up as a virtual background. And so it, was like, it looked like this really big studio behind us, kind of like a newsroom sort of uh, uh, comfortable setting. And you and I were sitting on stools facing the camera. And we actually had a teleprompter. Remember the teleprompter? It had some of our ideas on the teleprompter. And so you and I basically answered the question, why are parents questioning the CDC vaccine schedule that we ended up reshooting? And as you now have seen on our thevaccineconversation.com website, but that whole first series one was filmed in this different format, mm-hmm. which to me ended up just looking it just didn't hit home. It just didn't it just it didn't have the, the umph to it. So um, it wasn't my
1: and outfit and my bands. No, it what wasn't, you're okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. i <laughs> you've admitted it. It. <laughs> it was the set structure in the set way set that structure. we presented it. Right,
0: and, and I'm talking to a camera and I guess something like I guess when I'm looking at you talking and looking at your facial expressions and and you know you know I guess it just motivates me to I guess to go in certain directions that I hadn't thought of or things mm. that you'll say back to me and conversationally right. will stir more conversation. When we're sort of reading off a teleprompter or looking mm. at the camera, you totally lose all of that. So, so we didn't like have
1: forced, it feels yeah limited. yeah
0: exactly we didn't have the fun we didn't but but the content I think the audio content you're right, was super interesting. So we want to give that to you guys. We're going to put it out in, you know, in a part one and a part two. And you're going to
1: get it in a couple weeks. Just kidding. You're going to get it right now because (laughs) it's going to be attached to this episode and the next one Right. so that it's not going to be something you have to wait for. Right. So you're in luck.
0: Okay. Yeah. So enjoy the vaccine conversation video. Take one, part one. And, uh, we will of episode
1: one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> of the video series one.
0: <laughs> See the reason that's funny is because we already did that joke in a previous episode. But it's <laughs> funny again, right?
1: When you open the door, open the door for somebody else.
0: Welcome into the Vaccine fun. Conversation with Melissa and Dr. Bob. I'm Dr. Bob Sears. I'm a pediatrician, and I've spent my entire life having the vaccine conversation with people. And I've teamed up with my partner, Melissa Floyd.
1: And I'm a mother of a daughter who suffered vaccine reactions multiple times in her first year that led me on a crusade, I would say, to research and learn more about this process and figure out more and understand why this conversation wasn't being had with parents and
0: medical professionals. So you know, thank you for joining us, and you might wonder why even have the vaccine conversation. And what I've seen in the medical industry over these years is vaccination has really become automatic. It's just something you do. You know, the FDA has approved vaccines, the CDC recommends vaccines, and so does your doctor. And so it's something that just automatically happens as soon as you step foot into your doctor's office with that brand new little baby of yours.
1: And when has that ever been true for a medical intervention? When have we ever just put this on autopilot? You just walk in, blindly accept a universal one-size-fits-all policy. That never happens in any other circumstance. So why is it happening with the one thing that happens to every single child multiple times a year? This should be the topic that we are always diving deeper in and having a very open conversation with our doctors.
0: Right. It would make sense if vaccines were very simple and all you got is just a few shots each time. But no, vaccination is very complicated. You know, there are 69 doses on today's childhood vaccine schedule. That's triple what it was in the 80s when you and I grew up. And it's gonna get even more and more complicated as the decades go by. And these aren't just mild, you know, simple solutions of you know, germs and water, as we'll talk about later. These are complex biological solutions with you know, dozens of chemicals and ingredients that are designed to irritate the immune system. and and create a a strong immune response. So you create some artificial immunity against these diseases. And I mean, something so complicated deserves a long conversation.
1: And what does that mean when we're seeing uh, immune system triggering? We we, we have the issue here with autoimmunity, hyperimmunity. We are setting ourselves up for issues with our bodies and the bodies of our children just by design. I mean, this is literally why they're created the way they are created to stimulate your immune system. But that doesn't mean that's going to be without consequence. And so this is a complicated conversation. It is one that should be had. And it's why we started the podcast a couple years ago called The Vaccine Conversation. If you haven't checked it out, you're gonna wanna listen because we've gone into great detail. On specific topics, subtopics. This is a huge conversation to have. This is not just a simple discussion of the diseases and the doses. As you're going to find out, we've narrowed this down to just 10 of perhaps the most common subtopics or the most common questions that we get for new parents and for those who are new to researching this. But this is a very complex discussion. We've got social and political aspects of this and We have censorship to deal with, which is another big part of this. This conversation is not happening. It is not happening the way it needs to happen.
0: Right, and and probably one of the biggest reasons why this deserves a long conversation is there are side effects. You know, severe reactions are probably very rare, but side effects themselves are common. There's things like seizures, nerve injuries to the face and the legs and the arms. You can have severe allergic reactions, you can go into anaphylactic shock, and even rarely spinal cord paralysis, even brain injury or even death. These are very severe potential consequences and so for me that alone is probably one of the biggest reasons why this deserves a conversation.
1: And I'll put the disclaimer out here now. We are not telling anybody to vaccinate or not to vaccinate, and this really isn't about whether you choose to vaccinate, partially vaccinate, or not to vaccinate. This is all about informed consent. We are trying to get the information out there on the other side of the story so parents have access to all of it. They can make truly informed decisions. This has nothing to do with what you choose to do with your trusted healthcare practitioner In your own family the reality is you have a right Right. to the information you have a right as a consumer as an individual and as a parent
0: because with doctors uh, they feel there's pretty much nothing worth talking about for doctors they feel like this is just automatic and everyone needs to do it vaccination is really the only right choice that you should make so why even talk about it even if there is risk why should you talk about it and I feel very differently I feel like basic informed consent is what every parent would want. I mean, how would you not want that with something so complicated? You know, even if you don't take a deep dive into the research like you and I have done and like a lot of parents have done, you still want basic informed consent. And so that's what, that's what, that's what we're about. You know, you're not going to get this from your doctor. Sadly, I mean, I'm a doctor and I spend a lot of time talking to parents, but I know doctors don't have a lot of time. And they only have maybe, you know, 10 or 15 minutes with you to spend. And if that doctor feels like the only right answer up front is to vaccinate, they're not going to sit and hold your hand through the process. They're not going to tell you everything you need to know. And they can't spend two hours with you like, like we can. And one aspect that doctors are faced with in this conversation is they get a lot of financial benefit from patients who vaccinate. Your doctors stand to make about two or $3,000 from the medical care they provide for you. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's going to just create that little uh, bit of conflict of interest when they're talking to you about vaccines. And they know if they talk to you about vaccines and you don't vaccinate, they're out a few thousand dollars. And so I feel like they're not going to be talking to you about vaccines. They're gonna be basically trying to talk you into vaccines, not only because they think that's uh, the right choice, but because there's a lot of you know, financial considerations involved as well.
1: But let's be real, ultimately this is about compliance. This is not about the right medical choice for each individual person. This is about compliance. It's compliance on the grand, sca- the grand stage. When we're talking about our public health officials, it's about compliance. It's about just do it. Just say yes. Uh, there is no middle ground there. There is no. How come doctors aren't incentivized? to be making the most individualized decisions for care for their patients instead of being 100% compliant with their vaccines. I mean, when you're looking at compliance, you're starting from the wrong position right at the beginning. And that's why you feel this desperation. And that's why you feel this push. And it's not, uh, there's there's no compassion or empathy there to sit with a parent who has concerns and say, tell me what's going on. You know, how do you feel about this?
0: Right. And that's been my entire life's work is basically to sit with patients and hold their hand through the process and provide them complete objective and what I like to call undoctored informed consent informed consent that's not clouded by any agenda sure. and you know if if I you know if I was to have an agenda it's so that you can get complete balanced informed consent from both sides so you can make uh, educated decision from someone who has no financial stake in the outcome of your decision. Plus, there is a federal law that mandates informed consent. You know, back in 1986, the government passed a law that mandated all doctors should sit with their patients and have this conversation. But what we found, and I was in, in training kind of in the early 90s, what we found was parents were starting to say no more and more to vaccines. As they learned more about the process and they were given this complete informed consent, they were worried about side effects. So states took that off the table. States basically made it so you are not required to provide informed consent. And I have a problem with that because if something has risk and it's going to scare people away from using it, you have two choices. You either hide that risk Mm -hmm. or you figure out how to make the product less risky. And that's what I wish the industry would do. And that's something we'll get to later. But the bottom line is vaccines are are incredibly complex. It's not just a few shots. And, you know, you should be able to talk to your doctor about it. And because you can't, we're here to have the conversation with you. So you can be informed and you can make an educated decision. And not only for your own family, but you can go out and talk to other people about this and talk to your, your community, your family your friends, your coworkers, and even your doctor have an educated conversation with people so that you can feel more comfortable with what you've chosen to do.
1: But ultimately, what they are doing is hiding the risk. They are not trying to make the risk go away. They're hiding it. And one of the ways they are doing that is censoring people that talk out about it, that encourage an open discussion. And this has now become a conversation that is completely controversial and it is completely divisive and it is even considered taboo. You don't bring this topic up. It's kind of like the don't talk about politics or religion at the family table. This has now become one of those topics. Why, though? That should make anybody question, why would something like this become so controversial? Why are they silencing people that want to have open discussions about this? Why is censorship happening on social media platforms? Why are they labeling everything misinformation when it simply is just another side of the information? So this is what we've come to do. We've done this for the last several years. We want to have the open discussion. We want people to have informed discussions, and we will provide the other side of the story as a result.
0: All right, so kudos to you for uh, joining us in this conversation, and we look forward to not only this episode where we kind of give you an overview of the 10 most important topics as we see it, but with future episodes as we take a deep dive into each topic specifically. So, you know, you'll get an overview now, so you kind of get a good taste of the whole conversation. But then join us for each complete episode where you will learn everything you need to know on a very deep and complete level so that you can be completely informed about everything there is to know about childhood vaccination.
1: So the first part of this intro summary episode is going to be talking about a topic I find really interesting and one that tends to turn people's heads when we have this conversation. It's about the vaccine schedule. How many doses are there really on the vaccine schedule? The answer may surprise you.
0: Right. There are 69 doses on the schedule, and this is given in about 50 injections. Some of them are are like three in ones, and some of them are given by mouth but 69 doses, 50 injections. And that's triple what it was compared to what we did in the 80s. You know.
1: Let's talk about those combo shots, because I think this is a big issue that parents don't understand. They'll say, Melissa, that's not true. I went to my appointment with my child yesterday. They got two shots. And what they don't realize is there are injections now that can have up to six right. different vaccines in one. Now, is this a matter of cost effectiveness or maybe is this by design? Is there a reason that we've now combined vaccines to go from three to four to five to now six in one to help parents feel a little more comfortable with the fact that I only got a couple shots today? Not really understanding you might have had eight doses. And if you're following the CDC schedule, you will have eight doses at your two month, four month and six month appointments.
0: Right. And so uh... Go back and think of what it was like when you and I are growing up getting vaccines. And this is why a lot of older people kind of don't see why there's a big deal about the vaccination process. You and I grew up when we got basically one shot and one oral dose. And then as toddlers, we got one shot at one visit, one shot at the other visit. It It was such a reduced schedule. So that's why people kind of grew up not thinking it was that big of a deal you know and and so people kind of wonder why are all younger people today worried about vaccination is because it's a completely different process than it used to be and that's why we hear you know like older people just say you know go out and get your darn shots you know do your part well doing your part today is a lot more complicated than it used to be as as you just said and that's why people are trying to you know look more into it.
1: And one of the things I always say is being vaccinated today means something very different than being vaccinated in all of the prior generations. Because just like you're saying, I'm vaccinated, I got my vaccines, I'm fine. You're like, yeah, you got five, six, seven, maybe 10. It's a different story today when we're looking at 69 doses. Now, this is a cumulative schedule that has never been tested for safety. Keep that in mind. When they do safety testing, they're they're testing, you know, a couple doses at a time. They are not testing the cumulative schedule to say yes, this is safe for every child to have this over this number of years, and we see no chronic, long-term issues, no acute responses. That has never been tested. Most people do not know that we're dealing with a higher number, and we're dealing with more over time, and we don't actually know that that is safe. What we see is the contrary, because we're seeing this explosion of chronic diseases in children now. We're we're seeing an explosion of autoimmune reactions. These are things that coincide perfectly with the increase in doses. If you look at that historical schedule, you will see the jump in doses. It correlates exactly with the increase in adverse reactions reported, side effects reported, and even VAERS reports, which are to the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System.
0: Right. So we're going to like take a really deep dive into vaccine safety issues, and a lot of it is built on how the vaccine schedule has expanded and mm-hmm. built on the fact that, you know, instead of just getting one injection at an appointment, now you get four injections or even five. And not just once, but multiple times throughout childhood. And we're going to break down that schedule. We have some great graphics to show you not only how many shots you get at each visit, but getting the flu shot every year adds a whole, you know, another aspect to this. And so can you blame people for wanting to have the conversation. I mean, it kind of boggles my mind when my doctors get so angry at patients for asking questions. Well, it's because we've expanded this to a whole new level of complex medical intervention, and you know, there's gotta be some sort of limit as to what a little baby's body can handle, and we don't know what that limit is. And so doesn't it make sense for patients to like, wanna stop and ask a question? And so I don't understand the anger from doctors and from people who are trying to push mandatory vaccines. They get so angry about it. But this, the expansion of the schedule is probably the number one reason why people are asking questions about this now.
1: One thing that really upsets me is the fact that you cannot space out your vaccine doses. What they do is they combine them all together at certain appointments because they're afraid the parent is not going to show up for the additional appointments. So this is not about safety, it's about convenience and goes back to this idea of compliance. Is that how we should be making these kind of medical decisions when it comes to vaccine doses? Maybe spacing them out is safer for an individual child Why is that not allowed? Why is that not even encouraged in some cases?
0: Well, no, that's a great point. Vaccination is not just what does your baby need at that visit. It's what can we conveniently group together so that you will be compliant with the entire program. So I look forward to the full episode that we're going to shoot. And we're going to take a really deep dive into the complete vaccine schedule, explain what it is, explain how, you know, it compares to what it used to be. Why we give certain shots, when we do, why the schedule is what it is, what you get at your, you know, uh, when you're a newborn, birth, two, four, six months, twelve months, fifteen months, eighteen months, two years, five years, twelve years. I mean, there's so many shots you get at each time. We're gonna break it down, show you some great graphics that explain the vaccine schedule in in complete detail, so you yourself can be completely educated about that. So that's going to be a fun episode for me. I don't know about for you, but I love talking about the schedule. So I look forward to that uh, deep dive that we're going to take.
1: Well, the reality is not all doses are necessary. And that's one of the things that we've seen is that doses are put onto the schedule because they're available, not because they are necessary. And that's something we have to talk about. And you can't talk about vaccines without talking about the doses. This is one of the most important topics and, and an important topic, when you have discussions with other people talking about the schedule today and how many doses that we're dealing with and understanding why parents are questioning.
0: Right, so I uh, look forward to that part of the conversation. So part two is going to be a complete overview of all the childhood illnesses that vaccines are designed to prevent. There are now, with the addition of the COVID vaccine, there are now 17 infections or childhood illnesses that vaccines are designed to target. And we're not going to go through each each infection now in this summary, because this is just an overview, but we're going to take a deep dive into each one of those, spend maybe three or four or five minutes on each one so you can get all the details. And so I think what most parents are really concerned and worried about is they don't want their child to die of an infectious disease. I mean, nobody wants that. And they also don't want their child to catch an infectious disease and spread it to someone else and have that person harmed by it. People want to kind of help do their part for society. So I think that's kind of what you have to look at. And you have to look at each disease in detail so you understand, like you said, you know, about the vaccine doses, you want to understand which diseases matter which ones are really dangerous and serious and which ones are not, so you can make a more educated decision about each of these infections as you go along. And
1: I think what's happened uh, is is over the years, as we no longer have these routine childhood illnesses that we used to have, people have become afraid of them. People have assumed every single one of these things is going to be lethal for your child if you're exposed or or catches it. Things like measles or chicken pox. I mean, there are things that used to be laughed at, you know, by parents of generations prior as routine part of childhood illness. And now that we have distanced ourselves from that because of the mandatory vaccination universally across the country and the world, there is a fear there. And so I see this is one of the topics I get asked about a lot. And we covered this on our podcast in each one in great detail for this reason. There are a lot of people that enjoy those episodes because they want to learn about each of the different illnesses. They want to learn about each of the different, you know, is this prevalent? Is this risky? And let's talk about the corresponding vaccine with each. These.
0: Yeah, there's that misconception that if you don't vaccinate, your child literally will die. Right, and that's what doctors will tell you. But people need to understand really what the disease risk is. You know, overall, in the United States, we have about 400 children that tragically die of a disease that could have been prevented from vaccination. 400. You know, there's about 100 die from the flu. About. 250 children die from meningitis or severe bloodstream infections. Uh, We have a few children die from whooping cough, um, vomiting and diarrhea, Uh, tetanus, and hepatitis is also extremely rare. We have this total number of children, unfortunately, who pass away from these infections, but that's out of the 4 million babies being born in our country every year. So if you want to really understand what is the fatality risk from These illnesses, it's about one in every 10,000 American children will die from a childhood illness that could have been prevented from a, you know, by a vaccine. Well, let
1: me clarify when you say that. There's no real guarantee that the vaccine would have prevented uh, them from getting it and or having uh, severe cases of it. This is how the medical community views it. Right. They view it saying if that child would have been vaccinated, they would be alive today. But that's not necessarily the case because we see a lot of vaccinated children that are still getting these illnesses and that are not protected right. by things like this. Vaccines are not bulletproof. They are not something that guarantees to work for everybody every time. They are explained to be that way, but that's not the reality. In the practical application, they're not perfect. And in many cases, they're not even close to perfect. We've got some cases, 20 to 30 percent of people that could be vaccinated will not actually develop an immune response. So there's really no way to say that even in those cases that they would have necessarily been protected. But that is the statistical risk of those illnesses in our country. And you're you're right. When you look at the number of, of children born, Uh, The number of kids and teens that we have existing is even greater than 4 million. So really, the actual number of children at any given point on any given year and and looking at the adverse uh, effects that come from the actual disease or illness is very, very low. And it's always been very low. This hasn't even changed much since the 60s.
0: Right, right. And so that's like a night and day difference going from your child will literally die if you Mm -hmm. don't vaccinate, to, well, in reality, your child only has about a one in 10,000 chance or so of being one of those tragic, uh, fatal statistics. And so I think that's something I like parents to know as they go into this decision. And, you know, people really want to know what diseases are both common and deadly, because mm-hmm. right? that's probably a vaccine worth getting. If there's a disease out there that's really calm and it's everywhere, everyone's catching it and it's really deadly, sure, you might want to vaccinate. But if there are diseases that are common but mild, right. All right, or if the diseases that are extremely deadly are all very rare now, then that really shifts the conversation. And that is actually the reality There are no diseases that are both common and deadly, all right? Uh, You know, I've studied this, you know, my entire career. My whole life's work has been built on this. Fortunately, all extremely deadly, severe diseases are now extremely rare. And all the diseases that we do see that are common are fortunately manageable. They tend to be milder in kids, and the fatalities from them are extremely rare. So now diseases don't pose the incredible risk or the life-threatening risk that they used to. Mm -hmm. And so the need to vaccinate, to literally save your child's life is no longer the reality for parents today. Saving your child's life isn't necessarily the only reason why you would vaccinate. You might also want to vaccinate to reduce the spread of illnesses in society, right? So you can help protect everybody else. But the reality is most vaccines don't actually work by stopping the actual infection from happening. They simply work by reducing the severity of your symptoms. So your vaccination status doesn't really affect anybody else. It doesn't really protect anybody else in most cases. There are a few instances where that might matter. And so that's what this episode will be all about. We're gonna take a deep dive into each infection and understand does its vaccine help just you or does it help others around you? Does it help society as a whole? And that might be a factor that weighs heavily on your own individual decision.
1: And is it ethically okay to expect some children to undergo risk for that potential of stopping transmission in somebody else? Is that an ethical responsibility that seems okay, considering that you, you have, you're incurring risk every single time that you take it? And that's part of the discussion, too. I hear people say, I will not light my child on fire to keep yours warm and that's something that you have to think about we'd like to think this is a moral discussion of i'm doing this for everybody else but is that ethically okay to ask children to undergo a guaranteed possibility of risk for a theoretical protection or possible stop of transmission for a rare group that may be at risk from some of these mild things that's a big part of the discussion and one that we should be having too
0: right so i look forward to that full episode because i think that's going to be Uh, A lot more fun than it sounds like it's going to be, but we'll try to make it a little bit fun if we can.
1: (laughs) So part three is perhaps the most important aspect of this discussion. This is what drives parents to come into the conversation in the first place. We're talking about vaccine risks and side effects. This is the main concern parents have when they're talking about something that is a complex medical intervention. Now, they're told, though, by doctors that those side effects don't happen, extremely rare, totally safe all the time. And this has now led to uh, the silencing of the discussion about vaccine safety and vaccine risks and how we could maybe do this better or maybe approach this differently. But you cannot have a discussion on this without really going into the details on vaccine safety and side effects.
0: Right, but you've heard that vaccines are safe and effective. All the time. So, So why should we even talk about this? But safe and effective is really, uh, it's a term that's used by the FDA that really means the FDA has studied it and they found it safe enough for use and it's effective enough to use as a product, but it doesn't mean it's going to be safe for every single person. It doesn't mean it's always going to work. And there are a lot of reactions that we do know about, things that have been published in scientific journals, things like seizure risk. We you know one vaccine has a seizure risk of about 1 in 3,000. You can have uh, severe nerve injuries, Bell's palsy to the face where your face becomes paralyzed. You can suffer nerve injuries where you actually lose the use of an arm. You can have uh, spinal cord paralysis, brain inflammation, brain injury, even death. These things are, are very well um, published in the literature. Yet if you ask any doctor, the doctor will say, no, these things simply cannot and do not happen.
1: And I think dismissing the injuries that are happening, the parents that have seen them happen in their children, is the wrong way for them to go. Because I think what that does is it fuels the fire of these parents to be heard even more. Because the last thing you want is to be told something you witnessed with your own eyes doesn't exist, you don't make sense, you're just a hysterical parent, or worse, just a mom, what could you possibly know? And this has led all these Just a Moms to join together across the world. And we're looking in the hundreds of thousands to more to unite together into uh, a group of people concerned with the safety and concerned with the transparency of this kind of data.
0: Right. And transparency is, is a key word because I, I find it interesting that vaccine researchers and developers and those who test the vaccines They know there are all kinds of severe, fortunately uncommon reactions that happen. But there's a huge disconnect between that knowledge base and what the media believe and what general pediatricians believe and what society believes in general. They feel like that safe and effective mantra is 100% true and that these side effects don't happen. And I think that disconnect between what we do know scientifically and what people believe kind of does a big disservice to the general vaccine program.
1: Okay, and here's my issue. We're not talking about, okay, some risks exist. We're saying... These are mandatory. If you don't do it, you cannot be a part of society. So that's a different discussion altogether. You are forcing people to incur risk that we know is there. This is not up to somebody to decide if they want to accept it. We're not actually being given that option anymore. So once you talk about mandatory, then we need to get a little louder, and that's what's happened over the last five years.
0: Right, so how many severe reactions are we seeing? I think that's what a parent would want to know. What's the risk of my individual child being one of those severe statistics. And the best data set that we have on this is the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, in which about 5,000 severe reactions are reported every single year in our country. Reactions that either land you in the hospital, create a severe immediate life-threatening reaction, or create a permanent disability, or even create death. About 5,000 people uh, pay that ultimate price for being part of the vaccine program. So I think each parent could kind of have that statistic in their mind. What's the chance that my one child might be one of those severe reactions? And that kind of goes into the equation of how you're weighing the benefits versus the risks of vaccination.
1: But that's only what's reported. And that's the downside, is the reporting is not actually happening. So what is that real number? We don't know. And the less we're allowed to talk about it, the less we will know, mm-hmm. which is dangerous to all of the children who have been injured and to all of the children who will be injured in the future as a result of the silencing of this conversation.
0: Right, right. So the the deep dive episode that we're going to do on this, we're going to get very complicated and very detailed on which vaccines are known for certain reactions what's the likelihood that that can happen and what is your own individual child's risk and what i've seen in my office as a pediatrician i'm going to share some stories there some very poignant stories about vaccine injury that i've seen while at the same time i've seen many children seem to handle the vaccine process without these severe side effects so there's two sides of the story and i think that's what we're here to share is both sides of the story, so you can get the full picture of what really is vaccine risk.
1: And I think this will be an important episode for all parents, whether you've already vaccinated your children, whether you've partially vaccinated, them, or you're considering it with your children that are to be in the future. This is going to be an important episode. Vaccine safety should be discussed by everyone because this is really affecting millions of children just in our country alone every single year.
0: And in the vaccine safety approval process, there's also a lot to talk about. The fact that most vaccines have not been placebo safety tested. When they approve them, they just give them to a bunch of kids and see what happens. There's no control group to monitor the side effects against. So we know what the side effects are, but we don't really have a good understanding of what the short-term immediate, immediate risks are or what the long-term safety profile is with vaccines. And the fact that we have no long-term outcomes research that compares vaccinated kids to a placebo group of kids, that's very scientifically concerning to me as a doctor. And that lack of scientific data should be concerning to parents as well. And that's gonna be part of the discussion that we're gonna really dig deeply into. Part four is gonna be very interesting to me. I think it's a, a huge part of this conversation and it has to do with vaccine ingredients. What is in vaccines and and what is being injected into your little baby and your child and yourself if you vaccinate? And kind of the impetus for this part of the discussion is that I saw this podcast with uh, Joe Rogan and he was interviewing Dr. Peter Hotez, who is an infectious disease specialist, a few years ago. And Joe asked the question, What is in vaccines, Dr. Hotez? You know, what is in there? And then Dr. Hotez said, germs and water, Joe. Vaccines have germs and water. And that is so far from the truth, as you and I know it, but that does a huge disservice to the public. If you're telling Mm -hmm. the public that, those who know it's not true, then completely know you're not sharing the whole truth, you're not being transparent. But those who don't know that it's not true might actually buy that and say, oh, good, there's no chemicals. There's none of that stuff that I've ever heard people talking about. So therefore, if all it is is germs and water, it's it's risk-free. And I therefore don't need informed consent and there's nothing... I even need to look into, and that kind of angers me and gets me fired up, and that's why we're going to spend a lot of time on on this topic.
1: And we've gone into some of the ingredients like aluminum on our podcast already, talking with the world's most renowned researchers and scientists on aluminum, because there's toxicity there, and we have neurotoxicity. That is something injected into the body. We should be discussing this, and ingredients are a big part of the conversation, because this is one of the reasons people are so concerned. It's not about the virus or the bacteria you're injecting. It's about all of the other stuff, the adjuvants, the preservatives that are used in these and how they react to somebody's body. And amazing if it doesn't affect you that way, but it could affect this person this way. And ingredients, as we know, just like foods, not everybody can eat everything. Ingredients are unique and affect everybody's body differently. So we have to talk about it.
0: Right, and just some of the main chemicals we're going to spend some time on And we're going to use CDC data. We're going to show you the CDC website that has this information. Basically, that formaldehyde is in nine of the vaccines we give kids. Aluminum, as you said, is in six vaccines. Human fetal DNA fragments and protein fragments are in six of the vaccines now. There are a number of antibiotics in vaccines. There's uh, other... uh, Chemicals and preservatives like polysorbate 80, MSG, things that people are sensitive to in foods and in real life. And there's uh, mercury still in some mm-hmm. of the shots. There are yeast and a lot of other vaccines and, and, and many, many chemicals. And so to me, that is worth talking about because these aren't benign you know, uh, solutions that just have germs and water. Again, they are complex biological solutions that have a lot of chemicals that you need to know about. So, again, you can feel comfortable or uncomfortable with the process.
1: And you get people that dismiss this all the time, saying, oh, this, this, and this, those are naturally found in the environment, or this is naturally in breast milk. There are, there are arguments always that come up about how these toxic ingredients aren't so toxic, but the reality is how they go into your body makes the difference. And when you are injecting something, it's a very different process for your own body than when you are ingesting it or taking it in a normal route of transmission. So there's a lot to be looking at here. It's not just the component or the item that we're talking about. We're talking about how it interacts with the body, how it comes into the body and why that makes a different response for somebody and why there is a potential for something to go wrong when you do things differently than science in the bo- by the body, meaning science of the body happens naturally. When you go a different route, there's going to be something that goes wrong. I mean, we see this time and time again.
0: Right. And, and I think the way pediatricians look at this is, okay, sure, even though there are a bunch of toxic chemicals in there, it's such a tiny amount that it really doesn't matter. And that's sort of how they view it as safe. They don't know it's safe because we've researched it. They're just banking on the hope mm. that it's safe basically because of such tiny amounts. So we're going to take a deep dive in the full episode. I'm going to look forward to talking about fetal cells. We're going to show you the actual FDA product inserts that prove fetal cell uh, fragments and DNA fragments and protein fragments are in there. We're going to take a really deep dive into aluminum. Like you said, Mm -hmm. that is worth talking about because that is a known neurotoxin and is injecting aluminum into you. A good idea, we're going to talk about GMOs and how a lot of these germ components are genetically modified organisms, yeah, you might try to avoid GMOs in your foods all day long. You never eat it, but then are you going to inject it into your child? Are you going to feel okay about that? So we'll let you know everything you need to know about vaccine ingredients, what they are, what they mean, so that, again, it all comes down to informed consent and having uh, the ability to make an educated decision
1: let's wrap that up that was part one of this
0: let's, of the video yeah, it's, content it's, right it's long yeah.
1: so we want to give everybody a chance to kind of digest that talk about it with people and uh, and then the next episode we'll have we'll continue with the rest of that audio on that and hope you guys uh, enjoy that and found it interesting as well and uh, we'll see you next time The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as medical advice. Always consult your healthcare professional for information on vaccines and infectious diseases.